Hello and welcome to e-commerce Q&A. This is the show where we address the needs and interests of e-commerce store owners and operators just like you. During the show, we'll cover such topics as how can you maintain a healthy lifestyle while growing an internet business? How can you optimize your shipping? And everything in between. That's right, folks, we're going to address lifestyle as well as the tactical nuts and bolts of growing an e-commerce business. And now, e-commerce Q&A. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is Dylan Hulse once again with e-commerce Q&A, and I'm joined by Michael, as always. Michael, how are you? I'm good. Great. So today we're going to be talking about UI, UX. We did one of these podcasts previously, so this is going to be part two in our UI, UX series. And today we're going to be talking about how to effectively communicate on your website. So more specifically, we're going to be talking about what should your copy look like not only what it should read like, but what it should actually looks like on your site as well. So, And just to clarify, we're talking about the text on your website. We often talk yeah. about visuals and stuff like that. Today, we're just talking about text, the copy, the written words. So, Michael, tell me, what is the easiest website out there to understand? I don't know. I was thinking Google, though. So simple. It's a little search box. You can just plug something in. But honestly, it's not that easy to understand if you haven't ever used a search engine. Have you ever seen someone that comes to Google for the first time? I haven't. That would be an interesting thing, though. I mean, I guess I don't even remember the first time that I went to Google, you know? like. Well, I remember when I, I, well, I don't I, know if it was the first time, but I thought, right, tell us, okay, really, tell dumb, us really dumb name, really uh, you know, silly having a rainbow color scheme. Nobody should have ever had a rainbow color scheme. Yeah. But, you know, for e-commerce, it's actually kind of easy to figure out what, what's going on usually if you're doing a job right. It's like you're selling a product, right? Sure. The problem is... <laughs> You're not the only person selling the product of the type that you're selling, probably. So you yeah. have to be cut above in your communication style. People have to be able to figure out immediately not only what you're selling, but how it's going to be better for them. So it's we're so, not just we're not just doing expository writing when we're writing a website. We're trying to persuade right. someone of something. And and Google doesn't have to do that, right? Google just it's there. You use it. It's a tool, right? But you know, when we're writing for our e-commerce sites, we have to persuade people. We're not just trying to inform them, although that's part of it. But ultimately, the goal is to persuade them that your product is better than another product or your product is the product that they need or any number of different things that it could be considering your target market. Yeah. So, you know, when I'm thinking about website text, first thing I think about is how good does this have to be? Like, Mm. do we need to go and hire a copywriter? That's a real common question. Do we need to have an editor? Do we, can we just uh, Mm. kind of not, some of our clients don't even have descriptions on their products. And in those cases, it's because that particular market doesn't need the description. They already know exactly everything about the product and they know exactly which one they want to buy. And in that case, you know, you just have to be able to identify the product. Um, But most people don't find themselves in that category. It's more of a, you need to say something about your product. Yeah, I, I think it's easier to bring this down to two different types of communication, really. There's, you know, on a more broad level, (laughs) there are, we could call them universal truths of communication, right? So we could talk about those first, maybe, and then maybe we can go a little bit deeper into communication for the web and e-commerce web specifically. So let's first, though, talk about these universal truths. And we were just talking about, before we started recording, we were talking about something called the, the flesh readability index and basically how we can optimize that to whatever our target market is. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, exactly. So this is something you may have heard about when you were writing papers in school or something like that. But 
The Flesh Kincaid readability tests are, there's actually two tests, the Flesh Reading Ease and the Flesh Kincaid Grade Level. And the, the basic mm-hmm. idea is that if you have a really high score on the Reading Ease test, you should have a lower score on the Grade Level test. Right. Which makes sense, right? Like if you use smaller yeah. words and it's easier to read, then that means that it would correlate to a lower grade level score. It's a little bit disappointing, but the average, according to this website, I found the average user on a website is probably able to read on a seventh and ninth grade level. So 12, mm-hmm. 12 13 years old-ish. And the Huffington Post, for example, they have an average grade level readability of about grade seven. If you think about so, the New York Times, it's above that. Yeah, I, part of me wonders, like, you know, when you're reading for school or you're reading for, I don't know, your job or your work or whatever, it's a little bit different. Like, you're more, it's you're going to have an easier time concentrating because your mind is just in that place. But when you're on the web, I wonder if people just automatically, like, they don't want to try as hard. They don't want to think as hard. They just want things to be easier to read. And so that's why... You know, when people do tests to to find out, you know, what grade level should writing be for people on the web? Is it just really that, you know, that's the the reading comprehension level? I kind of don't think that it is. I think it's more just like we're lazy when we go on the Internet. We're just browsing the web. We were we're not wanting to, like, be in that headspace where we have to concentrate. I, think so I wonder that. how much of that it is, you know? Yeah. And I know we, we don't want to jump ahead to the web specific stuff yet, but I'm going to. Right, anyways. right. Yeah. It's like. When you're on the web, it's a little bit harder to read stuff typically because you have so many things on your screen. Right. Yeah. And, you know, displays are actually make it a little bit harder to read. And in general, your website should be easier to read than, say, a piece of paper that you have somebody's full attention when they're reading. Yeah. Not that I'm trying to make excuses for people on their reading comprehension level, but yeah, sometimes you just don't want to have to focus as hard. And that's why. For us as store owners or people in e-commerce, it's good to realize that we should make an effort to make our communication easier to read and understand. So that's why the flush readability index is, is a good way for us to figure out, are we making things too difficult for people? Is it too easy for people? Are we projecting the confidence, I guess, in the idea that we know what we're talking about? But, you know, it's a fine line to walk, I suppose, there as well. And it's cool because you can there's there's ways you can test your your website for your readability. If you just type into your Google search engine F L E S C H dash Kincaid test, you can find a few different ones. We'll include a link to one where you can just plug in your URL and it will tell you what your what your readability scale is. So another thing that concerns uh, you know universal legibility, if you will, is typography. There's well established rules of how to put text together. A lot of us learned in English class, which you may not remember, but you do intuitively, like you should use words to emphasize in sentence structure rather than putting things in italics or bold all the time. Exception perhaps with calls to action. You can use formatting to call those out. Fonts should work well together. They should feel like they go together. And if they, you know, if you don't have a sense for that, then grab someone who does and they'll tell you that looks horrible with that font. How often is it when you're reading a book that you'll see a book with a a font that looks significantly different from another book? They're all pretty much the same, right? And that's how it is on the web as well. You don't want to differ too much from what people are familiar with because it it can cause confusion and vice versa with, you know, things that are italicized too much or you're using too much bold or something like that. So it's good to save those things 
for when they really matter, aka the calls to action on your site, as opposed to just the copy or your product descriptions or you know whatever it might be. I think there's two types of confusions users experience when they're reading the copy on your website. The first would be they don't understand what you're saying, whether maybe you're just not writing at a, a level that would be easy for them to understand, or perhaps they aren't familiar with the background information that would be requisite for them to, to really understand. And the second is it's just hard to read kind of physically. Like yeah. paragraphs are too long or the... Uh, well, let's dive into the website, because aside from the universal truths about written communication that are well-established and have been known for over 100 years, um, there's a lot of things about writing for the web specifically that I still find a lot of people slip up over constantly. Yeah. I mean, the truth of the matter is when you're writing for the web, and this applies to email as well, you don't write in the same way as a college paper. Because it's just not as easy to understand at first glance, and you want people to be able to look at it and understand what you mean with minimal effort. I think that was really key what you said, at first glance. The truth here is that people don't typically read web text. They scan it. Yeah. And a lot of people have heard of the F-shaped reading pattern where this was back when desktop devices were the predominant form factor. But read across the headline, then you read down the left, then you read somewhere in the middle, and that was kind of a pretty commonly observed pattern using heat mapping. Nowadays, with mobile devices, actually, I've seen different patterns, but you can't just assume that you have a captive audience with the web, right? Right, yeah. So I think for me, when I scan, and I, I, I totally agree with you, what a great point that is. You shouldn't assume that people are just going to read from start to finish whatever you're writing on the site. And you have to think about it in that context as well. So when people are scanning, they're looking for something that's going to capture their interest, you know, from a glance. And at that point, you may capture them into reading the rest of what you've written for your page. But that means that, you know, you don't know at what point their eyes are going to land on on something that they find interesting or captivating, right? So the whole thing has to be written in that context. I would actually say the inverse is true as well. I think that it's very common for me when I'm considering buying something on a website that's not something that I've already shopped at. I'm looking for anything that would falsify, anything that looks like it was poorly written, bad grammar, just like a missing period. The classic one for me is the word it's. If I find an it's that, that has the apostrophe when it shouldn't or it doesn't have it when it should, all these things indicate to me either someone didn't take appropriate care in preparing what they were saying, or they're just going on and on and on and on for no reason, or maybe they used a third party to write their copy and they didn't edit it. It's basically you're asking for trouble when you have copy mm. that was not very carefully edited. And this is, this is really a common problem because with larger and larger product catalogs, it's very easy to just you know, lift existing content perhaps from the manufacturer and then just tweak it a bit. Those are the things where the discriminating user, which is who you want as a customer, because they'll be your most valuable ally when you manage to win them over. They're looking for things that don't seem quite right. So within that context, Michael, what, how should, you know, how should copy be laid out on a site? We know that people scan, they're not going to read the entire thing most likely. So does that change actually how we lay out the copy on the site? Yeah, and I think it depends on the product. So mm. if it's, or maybe based not so much on the product, but 
the level of commitment to buying this particular product that your customer is already at. If someone's coming to your site and they just want to buy the product already, all you need is a buy button, right? If they're on the far end of that spectrum, and we'll go into this in another podcast, but basically it's uh, the, the level of awareness at that point. If somebody doesn't even know that they need what you have to buy and they just chance upon your website, or or maybe they have some kind of vague awareness that, huh, I've heard of this thing called aromatherapy, or I've heard that riding a bike is good and I kind of want to buy a bike or something like that. I'm considering it. At that point, you need to educate them and 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 before you can expect to convince them to buy what your particular offer is. So let's take a middle-of-the-road approach, okay? Because most people's sites are at that point where their product is being considered against some level of another supplier right. or manufacturer or brand's product. And so in terms of the middle of the road, I know I said we weren't going to talk about this, but you need to have an image that represents the product, and then you need the text to support that image. And the text, usually you should have your short description. Best practice would be short description on the right. I sometimes will not put the short description on the right and instead have it be a summary statement that goes almost the full width of the page underneath the picture and the add to cart section on the right. I'm speaking of desktop. Mm-hmm. Then below that, what I like to do is break up the copy into sections. Typically, it's great to have reviews higher up the page. So you have your reviews there as common ways to do that. People are familiar with how to do reviews. You know, larger italics on your reviews, left, right with the smiley face. So you can see the person who left the review. But in terms of the description, which is really the body of text where you want to make sure you don't lose the customer. And this is going to be your more valuable user, the user that's really interested in actually buying this product or might be interested. I think that you want to adhere to certain things like, for example, use short paragraphs. This is a very important thing that a lot of people don't do is they go on and on within a paragraph. When you're writing a paper, you want to have three, four, five sentences in a paragraph. When you're writing text for web, you want to have one, maybe two sentences in a paragraph. Similarly, you don't want to have huge columns. We, we, we don't need to fill, we talked about this in the last show with white space, but if you have a lot of text to present to someone to read, your column should actually be fairly narrow. And if you look at sites like medium.com, which have long form articles, you'll see that, that the columns of readable text are actually fairly small compared to the available width of the page. So whatever, yeah. let's say you have a, a, a page that um, isn't full width, your, your template, let's take your tablet breakpoint, okay? Your tablet breakpoint, your text should probably be not more than half the width of the page. And that will bring that feeling of, of ease in reading and not, not a lot of pressure and just heaviness that you, you don't want. So narrower columns. Another big thing, this is huge, you want to summarize and reiterate, but in a different way. So mm. on every, you know, you've got your above the fold. Well, there's multiple folds on a page, right? Nowadays, we have long form pages where we scroll down and down and down and down. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I recommend that. But every fold should have the same call to action or summary statement or main point that you have to make or something that is close to that on every fold so that someone can be continually reminded as they're scrolling down, they see the same thing presented different ways. Mm-hmm. Again, they're going to scan, they're going to jump around, they're going to go to the bottom, they're, they're going to go to the middle, then they're going to see another product, then they're going to come back to the description. Very disorganized is the best I could say about most users that are reading the website. And then there's one other thing that I think is really crucial, which is that we can learn a lot from the info product people, from the content marketing people. 
Mm-hmm. One of the main things that you learn in content marketing is to spend 80% of your time crafting headlines. You've probably gone through these courses where it's talking about email marketing and they're saying spend 80% of your time working on your headline. <laughs> and there's tools that will help you. You can just Google this you know, email subject help or something like that. It'll tell you how good this headline is, how likely it is to go to spam. Well, you know, on your website, it's not going to go to spam, but it kind of is, right? People see a dumb headline or a headline that doesn't mean anything to them or, right? you know, think about all those magazine art, uh, ads that you flip past where you see them and you just kind of go groan, I'm never going to buy that product. What if the magazine ad just had product name, you know, <laughs> size? That would be even worse. Yeah. For some reason we think that on the web, oh, we can just have like a product page that says what it is without saying why you should even buy it. Right. Yeah. Look at the classic example, top selling product of 2016, the Amazon Echo. Just go to Amazon and I don't actually recommend following Amazon's usability principles in general because they kind of just do their own thing and not necessarily the best example, but their flagship product pages aren't so bad in terms of, you know, things like readability. They're obviously making an argument for why you should buy the Amazon Echo and waiting for this page to load. It is a no-brainer, though, if you think about it. They say, you know, spend 80% of your time crafting headlines and call to actions. You know, what are the the first things that somebody's going to see when they go to a page, right? Well, they might look at the product photography if you have that or whatever image you're using, but they're going to be looking at the things that are popping on the page, the things that are eye-catching, right? And those are going to be, hopefully, your call to actions and your, you know, your your titles, your headlines, whatever that's going to be. So with the Amazon Echo, I mean, you can see the product headline, Amazon Echo Black, super boring, right? But everywhere else on the page is telling me a bunch of powerful reasons why I should buy this Amazon right. Echo. Even on yeah. the product photo, the product photo says, Always ready, connected, and fast. Just ask. And it makes sense that you would spend 80% of your time on the things that are actually going to get people to end up buying the product, right? You want to spend the time where it counts. So, you know, people scan. They're not going to be reading every little little thing that you're writing on the page. Focus on the things that are going to count and the things that, that are going to matter. Yeah. So on your homepage... You have to convey something that will draw people into your product, which means that you have to know a bit about a bit more about your user than on the product page, potentially. Meaning, on the homepage, you need to make a statement that will draw a particular type of user into your general, whatever it is that, that is the reason for your existence as a company, as a store. What is it that makes you special? Why are you here? Why should they consider buying from you and not just like free shipping, you know, or great products at a great price? Those statements are going to be the hardest to craft. On the product page, it's actually a little bit easier because any product that you're selling on your site, I'm sure you have a reason for selling it. We'll say what that reason is. So, you know, pick low-hanging fruit here. Pick one or two or three. We talk about this a lot. Pick your flagship product line and flagship products and spend an hour crafting some powerful copy for your page. And it can just be some headlines and calls to action, and you can have a copywriter or an editor take it from there. So we've kind of talked about two different areas of communication. But let me ask you this, Michael, looking down into the future here, 
How do you think these principles are going to change in or at the beginning of 2017, but 2017, 2018, and maybe 2019? How do you think these things are going to change? Well, I think people are mainly looking for conversations now. They're yeah. wanting to be able to engage with and interact with content. That's why people, I just saw this thing that someone that I follow, Andrew Warner over at Mixergy, he found that he was getting an 80% response rate with Facebook Messenger. Hmm. So he, he he stopped sending emails just as a little test to try Facebook Messenger, and he got 80% response rate. That's why crazy. would that be? It's because people... You know, they, they love the idea of a conversation of being able to be being able to be taken very easily to right where they want to go. And that's the whole idea of the concierge, like, hey, what time is it? Asking your phone or like, yeah. you know, how long will it take to get home? I ask my phone that all the time. Well, couldn't I just look it up on a map or, you know, remember in my head? Of course I right. could. I could be like, oh, I think that. No, no, no. It's way too hard. Right. Yeah. So it's especially the on the thing. mobile device. It should just be simple. And basically, it makes it way harder, right? It's yeah. harder to write a three-minute speech than it is a three-hour speech. Very true. Yep. So, okay. in Good thoughts. with their previous, yeah. with their previous uh, you know, show, I would say, it's, again, a big emphasis on making things simpler and better. Conversational e-commerce. That's a topic unto itself. I think we should do a podcast on that coming up yeah. here in the near future because... I agree with you. There's a lot of companies out there that are experimenting with different ways of selling people via live chat or even people that are using artificial intelligence to start conversations and sell products. So yeah, it'd be a fun, fun thing to talk about. All right, guys. So that is the end of our podcast here today. I'm not sure how you guys are tuning in. We'd love to hear how you guys are finding the show. You can send us any comments or questions to podcast at celery, S-E-L-L-R-Y dot com. Or you can give us a call at 866-8-CELERY. That number is 866-873-5579. If you're not already, we'd love for you to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you enjoy the podcast, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a good week. Thanks, everybody. Keep selling.